Hey church, it's really good to be back with you all. Um, today we're gonna continue in our series, Strangely Dim, where we're kind of fixing our eyes on Jesus uh, through the summer, through uh, stories in the gospel that show Jesus' action and therefore his heart and his desire for us as his people, as humanity. So turn your Bibles to Mark chapter eight. Uh, I'll be starting in chapter eight, verse 22. I'll read to verse 26. This is the story of the man in Bethsaida who's blind and who Jesus restores his sight. Um, now, if you have your Bible, you'll notice right before uh, this story, there's a story of Jesus in the boat with his disciples having an argument. We'll get to that, but I think that, and then if you look right after this story is when that really famous story where Jesus says, you know, who do people say that I am? And then Peter says, you're the Christ. I'm like, well done, you, you see me. And then he goes, I'm going to the cross. And he, Peter's like, you're not going to the cross. That. This is sandwiched right in the middle of these things. Now, this is really, really important because um, this story here illuminates what's going on in the rest of the book of Mark and um, what happens right before the story and then right after. So it's important to know the context. So hopefully you have your Bible open. You can see both of those stories sandwiching this here. Verse 22, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside of the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, and they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. This is uh, God's word, let's pray. Lord, I pray today that we would get uh, a glimpse and a picture of your, your beauty, your patience, your glory, what you do, who you are, um, that we would really fix our eyes on you and your action in this world so that we can start seeing you clearly um, the world uh, in our lives um, would pale in comparison to your beauty and to the clarity that we get from, from encountering you. And I just pray for that, for uh, a breakthrough in clarity for people that are listening today. As we sit under the scriptures and by the power of your spirit, that you would bring us clear sight. In Jesus' name, amen. This story in Mark has always been one of my uh, favorite stories in the entire Bible. It's a story about a, a blind man. He wasn't born blind. Um, he was made blind in life somehow. And he's at this place in his life where his friends want him to be healed so bad, and I would imagine he wanted to be healed so bad, that they bring him to Jesus. And Jesus agrees to heal him. But what makes this story stand out and what makes this story different than any other encounters that you read in any other of the Gospels, actually every other Gospel writer omits this story except for Mark, is that Jesus heals him in stages. It's like it didn't work at first, and he heals him again. We've never seen this before. This is the only time we see this in any gospel. You got stage one, the man was blind. Stage two, the man could kind of see. Remember that? Like, he healed him, he's like, do you see anything? Jesus never asked that question. And he's like, yeah, I see people. I'm like, oh, great, and they look like trees. Like, well, that's not that great. And then stage three, Jesus puts his hands on him again, and the man had complete sight. And the text almost reads like Jesus kind of messed up the first time. He asks him, which he never really does, and he, he asks him, you know, do you see? And he says no, and he repeats the procedure. 
Of course, we know that Jesus didn't mess up. Jesus has the power to heal this man by blinking. I mean, he's healed be people before just by his word, like without even going over there, without even seeing them. Just like, boom, he says it and they're healed. Which means he didn't have to go through stages in healing this man or the process of healing him twice. He didn't have to do that. Which also means the stage approach to healing must not be because of the blind man or because of Jesus' lack of something, but rather because we need to learn something his disciples need to learn something through this story. But what? What do we learn from Jesus healing this man, this blind man, in stages? Well, the first thing that we learn is something about blindness, and it's this. It's about spiritual blindness. And spiritual blindness is a universal condition. We all, in one way or another, suffer from spiritual blindness. This is actually one of the main points of this entire story. Now, if you remember, um, I, I kind of alluded to the account right before this account, the story right before this story, where Jesus is in the, in, the, in the boat with his disciples. When he's in the boat with his disciples, if you want to turn there in, 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 uh, in Mark chapter 8 in your Bibles, Jesus starts to, to teach them. He says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Now, that, that's a euphemism. In the same way that yeast, a little yeast, works through an entire loaf of bread, in the same way Jesus is saying, beware of the little bad teachings of the Pharisees. Just a little bit of their bad teachings will work through your whole theology and, and taint everything. It'll ruin everything. It'll spoil everything. That's the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach the disciples. But the disciples don't get it. The disciples think that Jesus is talking about how someone forgot the bread from the night before when Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves. So they're like, oh wait, who forgot the bread? Jesus must be telling us we forgot the bread. Well, you forgot the bread. No, I didn't forget the bread. I wasn't on bread duty, you were on bread duty. Why, well, I, I didn't, I, I left it in the fridge. I mean, there were no fridge, you know what I'm saying. Like they, they forgot it. No one had any bread. But Jesus was like, what are you talking about? Look, actually, look at verse 17. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see? This is the point of the whole chapter in Mark, Mark 8. Do you still not see? Do you not understand? See, this is not just about sight. This is about perception. This is about understanding. Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000. Remember that? When he, he multiplied uh, the, the five loaves for the 5,000 and them with, fed them with, with fish and loaves. And he asked them, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up after I did that? And they said, 12. They had more bread at the end of him multiplying it, leftovers, than they did at the very beginning. She's like, okay, yes. And then remember again when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up then? And they said, seven. And Jesus is like, do you still not understand? And they were like, no, we do not understand. This is blindness. They are arguing about not having bread on their journey while the whole time they have the bread maker in their boat. They don't understand who Jesus really is. That's the whole point of Jesus saying, don't you remember when I multiplied the loaves? That whole thing was about Jesus saying, are you arguing about having no bread? I can make bread. I can make it. Do you remember when I did that? I could do that. You don't have to worry about bread. But they're blind to all of that. 
They are blind to what it means that Jesus is there in their boat and in their life. They worry about things they don't have to worry about. And it blinds them to the the kind or a kind of learning from Jesus that would take them deeper into perception and spiritual understanding. They're on the surface and they don't see. See, the point is this. They see Jesus, but they don't see Jesus. This is blindness. Jesus defines blindness as having eyes but not being able to see. He's obviously talking about spiritual blindness, a lack of spiritual understanding. But the actual physically blind man in this story that we just read illustrates this whole point. That's the whole point of this entire story. Because the thing about physical blindness is that when someone goes blind after being able to see, given enough time, they will adjust to being blind. They will know how to navigate life. They will learn how to walk and not bump into walls. They will learn how to eat and drink and do much other things after, like going blind. In other words, blind people will adjust to their own blindness. And the same thing is true of spiritual blindness. We can be spiritually blind for so long that we, we just adjust to not seeing. We, we adapt to our spiritual blindness. We adjust to living a life that is less than what God has for us. We adjust to living in patterns and habits and addictions and sins. We know a wrong, but we've simply adjusted, and now we know how to navigate life in a way that's frankly disordered. And we all do this. Even those of us who are in close proximity to Jesus like the disciples were. This is shown in our text through the life of Peter, who is very, very close to Jesus, actually in Jesus' inner circle. And then the, the, in the story, right after the blind man's story, Jesus begins to ask his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then Peter, the one of the people that lives closest to Jesus, says, I know the answer to that question. I know what people are saying, but I know the real answer. The real answer is this, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the one who's come to save humanity, to save and deliver Israel. That's who you are. And Jesus says, well done. You got it right. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. My Father in heaven revealed that to you. Well done. And then Jesus started to teach them what it meant that he was the Messiah, that the Messiah must go to Jerusalem and suffer and die and give his life over to, to crucifixion. And then Peter says, no, 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 no. You're not doing that. He pulls Jesus aside and says, Jesus, listen, there's all this talk about you going and dying. You don't have to die. I got your back. We got your back. You're not going to die. You're going to be a king. And then Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. And that, when Jesus called you Satan, it's like you're having a bad day. And get behind me. And wh why did Jesus say this? Because Peter sees, but he doesn't see. He see, He's in close proximity enough to see that Jesus is the Messiah, but he doesn't see what that means. He doesn't understand. He doesn't perceive what discipleship to Jesus means or what it means that Jesus is the Messiah. He sees and doesn't see at the same time. And in Mark's gospel, Mark is not afraid to point out that everyone is actually blind to some degree. We all, in some, to some degree, are the exact same with the disciples and, and this blind man, where we're in between healings. We, a lot of us, can see. 
We can see that God, who God is and what God can do and what God is capable of, but we don't really see it. We see, but we don't see at the same time. And Mark loves to point this out, how everyone is spiritually blind in Mark's gospel. The enemies of Jesus are blind. The friends of Jesus are blind. The family of Jesus is actually blind as well. Actually, up in this point, we're told in John's gospel that Jesus' brothers don't even believe him. Everyone is blind. Spiritual blindness is a universal condition. And if you don't think you're blind, if somehow you're convinced, I'm not blind, I see things clearly, well, you don't know how blind you are. Now, why is this point here that everyone's blind so important to this story? Because if you don't see and confess your own blindness, you'll never be able to be healed. If you don't start to see or perceive how blind you really are and confess your blindness, you actually won't be healed. It's only the sick people who believe they need help and care. I think we can understand this. I mean, what's so insidious about COVID right now? It's that you can be sick and infected with COVID and not know it, and then pass it along and possibly cause someone else's suffering and demise. In other words, what makes COVID so sinister is that you can be blind to your own condition, and that's dangerous. I have a friend who gets a COVID test every week. Why? Because they want to make sure, I mean, they're safe and everything, but they want to make sure that they, they know if they have it so they don't hurt anyone. And I'm completely the opposite. I don't want to know. I don't want to, not, not that I've shown symptoms, but I just don't want to know. Now, who's more dangerous? That's right. The people in Florida, are the, no, I, I am. Like, I'm the most dangerous in this situation. Spiritual blindness works the exact same way. The most dangerous people are the ones who won't admit they're blind. The ones who won't admit they have a problem. The ones who won't come face to face with their own sickness. Those are the most dangerous people. But admitting that you're blind is just the first step. Because being healed of spiritual blindness is a process. I think that's what this story teaches us. Like to be healed of spiritual blindness actually takes repeated touch, touches, touch, repeated touch from Jesus. I don't know how, what, what the grammar is there, but anyway. It doesn't happen in a snap where we see everything clearly, like God and life and future and past and Bible and relationships. It's a process. And I think that's what this story teaches us that being healed of spiritual blindness is a process. Look at verse 23. Notice that when Jesus meets this blind man, the first thing that Jesus does is takes this man by the hand and leads him outside of the village. Now think about this. Imagine you're blind, you meet Jesus for the first time, and he grabs your hand and he starts to lead you away from your friends and your family, and your city outside of the city. Question, do you trust him? Do you let him lead you when you don't know where you're going and you just met him? See, this is the first part of the process of becoming spiritually awake, is that you place your trust in Jesus and are willing to be led by him even if you don't know where you're going. This is the first thing this blind man does. He 
allows Jesus to take him by the hand. He's blind, and Jesus, I don't even know if he says it, but we're going to go this way. This man has to trust Jesus and be willing to not know where he's going and be led by Jesus. In January of 1995, before you were all born, Jesus called me to follow him. And he did it through a vision and a picture that I saw in my, in my mind. And the picture was a, a road. I saw a road in my mind and I heard Jesus say to me, follow me by going down this road. And the road I saw in my vision was a road that just a few steps ahead of me was shrouded in fog. I just remember seeing this like kind of a, a gravelly road and then there's fog, a, a wall of fog. And I knew immediately without any Christian furniture, I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't have any of that in my mind. Well, I immediately knew that this meant that I had to trust Jesus where he would lead me. Now, looking back, it's obvious that he was leading me to the foggiest place on earth, San Francisco. But at the time, I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. I just knew this. I had to trust Jesus and be led by him. That's what I, that's what I had to do. And to be honest, I don't think any of us mature beyond this point. This is the life of faith, where we place our hand in Jesus's and allow him to lead us. Now, after Jesus led this man out of the village, he spit in his eyes. And I still have no idea why Jesus did this, and I have no idea what it means, and I still think it's nasty. This is gross. I mean, even if it is Jesus' spit, it's still nasty. He just spits in his eyes. And I know some people will try to tell you what it means, and I don't know if I agree. I just don't know what it means. But he does it. But thankfully, he does something else and he lays his hands on the man's eyes, which I get, right? That's healing. Lays his hand on the man's eyes. And he says something completely out of character for Jesus. He spits, he heals him, hopefully wipes the spit off, maybe just does one of these things, hopefully, I would imagine. And then the man opens his eyes and Jesus says, do you see anything? Almost like asking, did it work? You never see Jesus ask this question. Did it work? Tell me, how, how do you see? And the man looked up, and this, again, this is very comical to me. I think this is really funny. He's like, I see people. I think that's great. And they look like trees. Like, that's not so great. That's not how people look. Now, think about this for a second. After the touch from Jesus, you can't say he's blind anymore because he can see but you can't say he can see either because he can't make out what he does see. He's stuck in between. He's blind, but not blind at the same time. And this is the whole point of this episode if you can't see it, because the disciples are guilty of the exact same thing. They see Jesus, but they don't see Jesus. They see that Jesus is in the boat, but they don't see what it means that Jesus is in the boat. They, they see that Jesus is Christ the Messiah, but they don't see what it means that Jesus Christ and the Messiah. This is exactly what this story is supposed to teach us. Now, how do we heal from this? How do we heal from seeing but not seeing, being blind but not blind at the same time? And this right here actually can be more dangerous than being completely blind, if I was being honest. And I think you and I can see why this is dangerous. It's like you know just enough about something to be dangerous. In religion and spirituality, this is actually the worst. 
where you start to know just enough about Christianity to be dangerous, where you can see, but you can't really see at the same time. Like Peter, you're the Christ, you're King Jesus, and we're going to wipe out our enemies and make you sit on the throne of King David. Uh, no, you're blind. That's not how it's going to work. Or when we say we're a Christian nation and it's so important to defend the freedoms of our God-given country, uh, you're dangerous. And that's dangerous. You see, but you don't see. I've been guilty of this on so many occasions. When I learn a new subject or I tackle a teaching project that I want to lead the staff or the leaders or the whole church through, and I read some books, when I was kind of, I mean, actually, I still do this. I do this from time to time. I'll just confess that. Where I start getting into some conversations, and oftentimes I have a lot of zeal, but a little wisdom. And I have to confess that when I do, I have to sit before God when I do. I try to actually sit with something for at least a year before I actually teach it. And I have done that over the last several years. But early on, I remember even a mentor friend, a mentor of mine said, you need to like um, metabolize some of the things you're reading before you talk about them or, or at least teach them. And I have taken that advice and sit with things for a long time and read things for a long time until I actually do teach them. Now, but I, but I still, I mean, I'm still guilty of this. Now, how do you heal from this like inter like this intermediate stage of blindness where you can see, but you can't really see. How do you heal from this, this part of your journey? And here lies the second point to our healing of spiritual blindness, and this one's crucial. We have to be honest with God. We have to be honest with God. Honesty with God is one of the most important parts of our life with Jesus. It must have been a great temptation for this man to shout the second the light came into his eyes and in his pupils and it began, his eyes began to move in and out of focus. I mean, at that moment, he must have been so excited that light broke into his eyes. It took a lot of honesty to stay put and say to Jesus, yes, I can see now, but not very well. Too often, our pride gets in the way and keeps us from asking God again and again and again, I need you, I still need you, because I'm still a little blind. Many of us get one touch from God or one word from God and think, okay, I got God's word, I got what he's supposed to say to me, I'm supposed to handle it on my own from here. This man was so honest with Jesus. I think of the courage it took to say to the savior of the world, the greatest healer who has ever lived, I don't think that first time worked like it should have worked. See, what saved this man was his absolute honesty. I don't see clearly Jesus. And I know that might be taken as an insult to the great physician, but can I get another touch from you? He doesn't say, well, it must be me. I must be so blind and so messed up that not even the son of God can heal me. None of that, none of that self-pity. He just simply says the truth. I can see, but not very well. And at this, without another word, Jesus places his hands on him again. And this stage of our spiritual lives takes complete honesty with God. Telling God where you're at, what you can see, and what you can't really see that clearly, or confessing, I don't know if I see that completely clearly. And Jesus, here in our text, places his hands on him again. 
Verse 25, then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. This man can finally see everything clearly. And clarity is what most of us are really after, especially right now in life, where everything seems to be up in the air and we don't really know where everything's gonna land or if and when things are going to land. When things are not clear, we feel stuck and in many ways we feel wounded. And when that happens, somehow, one day, Lord willing, clarity comes. And when clarity comes, it feels like freedom. It feels like we can go anywhere and do anything. It feels like the things that once held us down are gone and we can fly and we can run. When clarity happens in our life, we get a moment of clarity. We just feel like we can do anything. But there's a third and final point we learn from this text about being healed from spiritual blindness. And it's the only thing that will keep us from plunging ourselves back into more blindness. And it is this, obedience. We need obedience. Notice that Jesus gives this man instruction. He gives him what to do next. He says to him, don't go back to the village, but go home. Now, we don't know why Jesus commanded this here. Many people think it's because Jesus wants to keep his identity a secret, so he doesn't want him to go back, you know, to, to home, which would fit into Mark's writing and keeping Jesus' true identity secret until the cross. That, that would fit. Others say he can't go back to his old life in the village. So Jesus is saying, go and sin no more. Don't go back to the village. Don't go back to your old life. But all that's actually speculation. We don't know why Jesus told this man to go back, not go back to the village, but go straight home. What we do know is this, is that Jesus, like he does often when he heals someone, gives them direction, an instruction, a command, if you will. And this man is left to either obey Jesus or not. I've been pastoring for 20 years now. So I mean this when I say that I've seen thousands of people come to Jesus for a fix, a touch, a healing of sorts. And when they got what they wanted, they left and they never really obeyed him. And many times I would see them come back when their life came apart again. And other times I never saw them again ever in my life. See, if our trust in being led by Jesus and our honesty with Jesus is not followed up by obedience to Jesus, well, then there's, there's a sickness that leads to death right there. Because Jesus refuses to be in a codependent relationship with you, where he's around only when you're needing something and just wants to be wanted by you. That's not Jesus. That's not the relationship Jesus has with his followers. He'll be there and he'll heal and he'll continue to touch your life, but those will come with a command and instruction that he expects you to walk in with your newfound insight. Jesus is gentle and loving, there to heal and restore, but don't make the mistake that he's like some sentimental healer that just doles out cures without giving commands without teaching you and I a way of living with our newfound sight. Lately, we have been flexing our American 
pioneer Yankee spirit. Whether it's by saying, I'm not gonna wear a mask, it's my body, I can do whatever I want with it. Or if it's like rebelling against any authority and establishment of the government. It's happening from kind of everywhere right now in our world. And there's been this, a lot of this anti-authoritarianism going on. And that can very easily seep into our life with God. And we shouldn't be blind to that. Now the difference between Jesus and every other power structure that seeks your allegiance and obedience is that Jesus plunged himself into your darkness so that you can see. He gave himself over to the consequences of our rebellion so that we could be free and not free to do what we want because if we know anything about true freedom, that's not how freedom works. But be freed to live in a loving relationship with the living God, free to choose and be chosen. But not just that. Jesus is not only the one who has plunged himself into our darkness and taken on the, the consequences for our disobedience, but Jesus is the one who will ultimately judge. Every single one of us will stand before Jesus as the judge. He's the judge, he's the truth, he's the way, he's the life. And to not obey Jesus and his teachings is just flat out foolish. And though Jesus is all of that, the way he comes to us is, is as a gentle savior, as a healer, willing to heal us, and to touch us, to be patient with us, so that we can see. And so even as we close right now and we move into a time of worship and reflection, let me ask you to first um, confess that there are parts of your life that you are spiritually blind to. And start to allow yourself to be led by Jesus even if you don't understand where he's taking you or know where he's taking you. And to be completely honest with God. And lastly, to commit yourself to be obedient to what Jesus tells you to do, to be, to be obedient to his teachings and his scriptures. But I think what would be a really good takeaway if we were here in real life, the way I would call you forward right now for response is through honesty. Would you be honest with God? Honest with God with where you're at right now. Honest with God if you can't see clearly. Honest with God, if you think you're so prideful that you do see everything clearly, but you're probably really, really blind and you need to go to Jesus and say, I think I can see everything clearly, but it's probably not true. And go to Jesus and say, heal me. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would restore our sight. We wanna see you clearly. We wanna see the way of the cross clearly. We wanna see, Jesus, what you're doing in the world right now clearly. This last week, I've just been thinking about this, um, this, this, this quote from Jonathan Edwards who says, the task of, of every generation is to, is to see where the sovereign redeemer is moving and then follow that way, to go there, to do that. And Lord, I pray that that would be true of our church in this generation, that we wouldn't just see this time as like this huge um, universal pause button we would see what you're doing and we'd be given eyes to see what you're doing right now and we would obey and we would follow. I pray for those that don't know you, Lord, that for the first time they're maybe blind and they know they're blind and they're offering their hand for you to take it and to lead them. I pray that they would trust you and they'd be led by you and that you would lead them to living waters, that you would lead them to redemption and that you would lead them to salvation. 
In Jesus' name, amen.